Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hello again, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm lead pastor here at Renaissance. It's great to be with you again. Today, we continue and finish our three-week series that we've called Heart Rate. And what we're doing in these last few weeks and closing even today is we're using the idea that the Bible tells us that when we become Christians, when we become a believer in Jesus, that God gives us a new heart. Metaphorically, he puts inside of us a new motivation center. Right, And it gives us new affections and new passions and new desires. The things of God, the things that matter to God then are placed inside of us and they should then begin to matter to us. And so the whole idea behind this series, Heart Rate, is to look at our spiritual hearts and to see if there are any indicators um, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our beliefs, so to speak, that would point to this reality that maybe our new heart needs an adjustment. All of this came from an idea that I had one day while I was running and I was reminded that um, athletic trainers and coaches will oftentimes train their athletes to run at a certain pace or at a certain speed, if you will, to keep their heart rates in a certain zone. And they want their athletes to train in that zone for the longest period of time to produce the best benefit for them. And they train them to look for indicators like heavy perspiration, excessive breathing or whatever, to be indicators that their heart physically is in the wrong heart spot, so to speak. And so the idea with a Christian life is we can also look at indicators in our lives to see if our spiritual heart is in the right place or the wrong place. So for the first week, we talked about unforgiveness. The question was this, can we be a Christian? Can we say that we follow Jesus and have unforgiveness in our life? Uh, The answer, if you, spoiler alert, (laughs) if you haven't already seen that one, it is no, we cannot have unforgiveness and profess to follow Jesus because simply put, Jesus, the one who forgives us our sins by dying on a cross, being buried in the grave and being raised from the dead, he's the one who forgives us all of our sins. So how can we say we follow him and have unforgiveness towards others? And then last week we looked at the issue of anger. Not that anger in and of itself is bad. I think it's sort of neutral in a sense, but how we respond when we become angry. The Bible says to be angry and not to sin. So when we look to indicators in our life on how are we responding with anger, that could be a tell to us that maybe our heart needs a little check. Maybe we need to rethink how we're uh, uh, thinking about this particular situation or how anger is affecting our lives. But this week, I wanna talk about anxiety. Those of you who know me, you're probably thinking I saved the best for last, right? If you know my story, I was a a person um, who struggled with anxiety a lot. In my early 20s, when I was in college, it was almost crippling to me. And then when I became a Christian in my mid-20s, anxiety was still a part of my life, but through counsel, and I sought professional counseling, 
And I had counseling with mature uh, Christians, people who'd walked with the Lord for many years and seeking counsel with God through the reading of the Bible and, and meditating and, and looking at scripture for help. I, became, I began, to, began to understand that a lot of my anxieties in my life were typically driven by this one thing that I was looking at my temporary circumstances. For whatever reason, I'd found myself in a tough situation. In college, maybe a final exam is coming up, or maybe I miss my family. I can't wait to go home for the holiday break. I don't know what it was, but there'd be some temporary um, circumstance in my life that was just boiling at a slow simmer underneath the surface, and those temporary circumstances caused anxiety in my life. And, and when I sought counsel and began to realize that if I I were to look to the eternal God, the one who's strong enough and big enough and helpful enough to, to correct all of the circumstantial issues in my life, when I began to stop, when I stopped looking at myself to fix all situations and began to look to God to help me in situations, I began to understand that I can actually have control of some of my anxiety. I'd love to stand here before you now and say that I haven't had anxiety for the past, well, 20 years since I've been a Christian, and that would be a lie. <laughs> In fact, I was confessing right before I started recording this message that I was actually dealing with some anxiety this week. Teaching on anxiety has brought anxiety <laughs> again into my life. But there is some hope that we can have, and it is hope in God who is eternal and is big enough to help us. So I thought I would spend some time talking about a story out of Psalm 42, Psalm 42. And I'll just read the first five verses for us here. Verse one, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go without the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival? Verse five, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. Now, most people believe that those words were written at about the time King David was being ousted from his throne. And he's being run out of his throne by his own son, Absalom. Absalom had put together a small band of um, military type people to chase after David and to kill him. And David had caught wind of this and heard of this. And so he flees the palace in Jerusalem and goes into the wilderness to hide. And you can almost picture the, the, the turmoil that David is going through. In fact, the psalmist is, it, it's almost as if they're putting the words in David's mouth themselves. As he's running for his own life, his soul that used to be so connected to God and to the house of prayer, the temple where God was praised, he had to leave behind and try to save his own life. His soul inside of him is, is thirsting for God. He says, like a deer that pants for streams of water. Verse three, it even says that the sorrows, the tears have been his um, food, day and night. 
this is a poetic way of saying they, they've been so distraught. He has been so distraught that he hasn't even taken time to eat. You and I have experienced times like this, I'm certain. This is that moment when your family members come to you and knock on your bedroom door to see if you're okay. This is when friends text and call just to check in, but you've been spending your whole night crying overcome with stress, overcome with worry because of the current situation that you find yourself in, overcome because anxiety is crippling you. But in the end of this little passage, the psalmist writes in verse five that there is a help. There is in fact a remedy. It's here at the end. It says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. The remedy is that it's to hope in God. What's interesting, the things we know about anxiety, uh, Dr. Archibald Hart, he's a clinical psychologist. He informs us about how anxiety impacts our lives. It impacts us both uh, in, in our physical bodies, it, it uh, involves uh, our behaviors and even our emotions. Physically, if we're dealing with anxiety, we find ourselves tired. Sleeplessness is a common thing that we experience. A rapid heart rate, dry mouth, excessive sweatings, uh, sweating. And behaviorally, we, we struggle with things like lack of concentration, lack of motivation. This is my own personal story. This is an indicator to me that I have some under um, girding of anxiety in my life. Even before I notice it, I begin to sense a lack of motivation in my life. I become irritable. And then emotionally, you find yourselves just overcome with worry, dread. There, there seems to be no hope for the future. In fact, I wonder if this, this idea isn't what informed Sarah Young when she wrote in her best-selling devotional, Jesus Calling, when she writes that anxiety is just envisioning the future without Jesus in it. It's just envisioning our future without any help from God. And, and that's what happens when we worry when anxiety begins to reveal itself um, in our lives and we, we choke out, if you will, hope. We choke out hope in God. We choke out hope that, there, that our life could ever change. Uh, when you look at the etymology of the English word for worry, it comes from the German word wirgen, which means to strangle or choke. And that's what's happened in the story of David. That's what's happening uh, when that psalmist is writing that, those verses, that his hope has been choked out. And because of that, his soul is thirsty for God. So we have to look to God for a remedy. We have to look to God for help. We look to Jesus for help. And so to do that, I wanna just read a couple verses um, from a sermon that Jesus taught. It's in Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six, I wanna read all 10 verses straight away, verses 25 through 34, um, to give us context of what he's talking about, and then hopefully to get a better understanding of what our hope can be in God. Let's start here in verse 25 of chapter six. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you, what you will put on. 
Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus asks. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, for example, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, Jesus questions. <laughs> Therefore, he says, do not be anxious, saying, oh, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. He's saying people who don't believe in God seek after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But he says here in verse 33 that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. All of these essential needs will be given to us when we seek first God and his righteousness. Last verse, therefore, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble or other translations say evil. It's as if every day has its own evil to give us, right? So why worry about it? We know it's coming, just let it come and we'll put our trust and we'll put our hope in Jesus. We'll put our hope in the words that Jesus is saying that God can in fact help us. So a couple things um, I, want to I want us all to notice here in these 10 verses. On six different occasions, the word anxious is used. If you're reading the NIV translation, it would probably, it would say, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. In fact, if we could summarize all of these uh, passages, all of these uh, verses into one saying, it would be this. This is what Jesus is saying. Stop worrying. If I can be honest, that frustrates me a little bit because I, I hate when I'm dealing with something that's very difficult in my life and people just say, well, just stop worrying. Stop being anxious, Jeff, but I'm anxious. Yeah, but just stop being anxious. Well, stop worrying. I can't stop worrying. I'm worrying about worrying. And, and they just say, stop. I want you to know Jesus isn't just throwing some pat response, just putting some verse onto your problem, hoping that it'll make you feel better. He's not saying that. He's saying, stop worrying because of something. And the next nine verses, he spells out what that is. I want you to pick up on this. Jesus goes back to remind us of, of God in creation. He, he mentions birds of the air and he mentions the lilies of the field. These are two things that God created in the beginning. Day three, God created all the vegetation. Day five, he put birds in the air, fish in the ground. And even on day six, it says that he formed us out of the dust of the ground. So God forms everything. He makes everything. He forms us out of the dust of the ground and he breathes life into us. He is the creator of all living things. He's the creator of the body and of life. And what Jesus is intimating in these verses that if, if God is big enough and strong enough and wise enough and powerful enough to do all of that, 
in the beginning, then he's certainly big enough and strong enough and wise enough, right? To help you with your particular issues. Now, he picks a couple essential things, you know, food and clothing. But those are just examples that are speaking to a, a, a whole, you know, picture of what God can do. He's not limiting himself to just food and clothing. I want you to think of anything else in your life that is missing, that you would say is essential to you. Let's talk about, for example, community. Maybe you're missing community in your life. Hear me. God is able to bring you community. If you're missing relationship in your life, essential needs in your life, God is able to bring and meet those needs as well. And he's, he's saying he does that because God is the creator of all and the sustainer of all. If he's made them, he can sustain them. One of the things that people do when they read these verses, like verse 27, when it talks about the birds of the air, sorry, verse 26, it says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. He's saying, stare intently at them and watch what they do. He goes, they don't do any of these things. They don't plant fields. They don't reap fields. They don't gather their harvest into barns. And yet God still feeds them. This is not to say that we just sit back with arms crossed, right? When we have the need for food and God is just going to bring it to us. No, watch the birds. They're busy working, okay? They're out there doing things, but they, they trust God to provide for them. And so when you and I have particular issues that are causing us anxiety, um, we can work towards them, but we never work towards them thinking God won't help us. We work towards them believing God will be in the middle of that. The biggest issue in my life when I was younger is I always felt like I had to fix all of my problems. I felt like I had to be the solution to what was causing my anxiety. And when I lived my life without Jesus, there's no wonder I was crippled by anxiety. But now I believe in God. Now I believe the story of creation, the one Jesus is kind of retelling here, that God created everything, Jeff. And if he created it, he can sustain it. And if you're listening here, I need you to know that whatever issue you're dealing with in your life, God has created you. <laughs> and he cares deeply for you and he can help you in your situation. We know in the book of Genesis, in the story of creation, that we, we're above all other creation, that we actually are made in God's own image. We have a special place, so to speak. And Jesus says, if God so cares about the birds of the air and, and provides for them, do you not know that he's gonna provide for you even more so? He looks to the lilies of the field and how they're adorned and how beautiful they look. They don't, they don't do anything but just be blown around by the wind. And if God so cares about them to make them beautiful and provide for them in that way, how much more so will he do for us? Again, he's only talking about food and clothing here, but the implication is in everything else. Jesus is saying, stop worrying. And not because it just sounds good to say, but because we can stop worrying because we know who God is. We know the strength of God, the power of God. Again, if God is provider of life and of the body, then he can also provide sustenance for it. Jesus goes down to say um, in verse 30 here, he calls his disciples, um, oh, you of little faith. 
It almost sounds derogatory, but Jesus has used that phrase many times about his disciples in the gospels. We read this and it's never, it's never a negative thing. It's not like he's standing there with his finger wagging at them. You need to have more faith. It's almost like Jesus is putting his arm around them and say, oh, come on, you of little faith. You know enough to know that God can do more, right? You're just, you're just misplacing your trust right now. You're just focusing too much on the temporary. You're, you're focusing too much on your circumstance and losing sight of the fact that God who is eternal is overseeing everything. One of my favorite passages in the book of James is in James chapter four, where James is just describing our lives. And um, he's talking about worrying about tomorrow, much like Jesus is talking about here. And he just reminds the, the reader of his letter that our lives, they're like a mist, right? They're like, they're like um, when you walk by someone outside who's vaping, right? And they blow that puff of smoke into the air. It's, it's there for a minute and then gone. And our lives are just like that. Sometimes it's just perspective that needs to be switched. When Jesus says, stop worrying, he's not just saying, try harder to not worry. He's saying, gain perspective. <laughs> gain perspective in God who is eternal is overseeing all things. And our lives, even though circumstances are difficult and challenging, they will, it, it will change. Our lives, as James says, is like a mist that evaporates at some point. We become too focused on the here and now. And he says, you have little faith. You, you have enough faith to believe you're just losing focus. He says, verse 32, for the Gentiles, speaking again of unbelievers, they ask those questions. How are we going to feed ourselves? How are we going to clothe ourselves? How are we going to meet all of our needs? But he says, you shouldn't do that. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need those things. But he says, verse 33, that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. To spend some time talking about that would require, um, I mean, I wish I had a whole lot more time to talk about what the kingdom of God is and et cetera. But just know this, as we talked earlier, when we became believers and God has placed inside of us, metaphorically, a new heart, right, with new affections and new passions, that he is in a sense building his kingdom on the earth through people like you and through people like me. When our desires once was to service our own needs and to get what we wanted to build our own kingdoms and do whatever we wanted to do, God has now placed inside of us a desire to build his kingdom, to love God and to love others as Jesus says. And so when we are seeking his kingdom first, what we are reminding ourselves is that our kingdom, like James said, is a vapor. And we are spinning our wheels, right? Doing all kinds of effort and laboring into things that will not last. Yet, if we were to look into God's kingdom, if we were trying to build, our, uh, build God's kingdom in our life first, then our perspective shifts. And worry, as Jesus is implying, becomes less of a thing for us. Seek first his kingdom, he says, and his righteousness. Now, this phrase struck out to me because when I read that, I was reminded that I have no righteousness in and of myself. 
that I, I cannot come up with righteousness in and of myself. I could never fulfill all the things that God wants for me, but I do have righteousness and you do as well in Christ Jesus that our standing with God and our righteousness with God was given to us by Jesus Christ. So as we talk about the cross of Jesus, when we talk about his sacrifice for our lives, what we, have, what we are saying when we say that is you and I, we are naturally born into a sinful disposition. Everything we desire, everything we want is in opposition to what God wants. And because of that, we should be judged for it. We should be punished for it. Ultimately, the Bible says the punishment for sin is death. But Jesus, the son of God, he goes to a cross on our behalf and he absorbs the punishment of sin, which is death for us. He's buried in a grave and God raises him from the dead, accepting his sacrifice. And now his righteousness, his perfect life has been imputed to us, given to us. So now we have the righteousness of God as well. All that to say this is when we find ourselves in a place of worry, when we find ourselves in a place of anxiety, we need to refocus. We need to look to God who is the creator of everything and remind ourselves that Jesus Christ has established um, us into his kingdom forever. Now we begin to look eternally into things. This is by no means to say you're not going to deal with things in your life. This is by no means to say you're not going to deal with stress or anxiety or worry any longer. As I've already confessed to you, I was struggling with anxiety this week. But after years of counsel, and I sought counseling, professional counseling, and it was helpful, and, and years of looking with uh, mature Christians who've been walking in faith and, and years of studying the scripture, I've learned this, that when I stop focusing on the temporary things here now, the things that are causing me anxiety, and when I begin to focus on Jesus and his works and God's kingdom and the things that he's trying to do, I have learned that I can actually control my worry. I can control my anxiety. In fact, when I do a heart check, when I see worry and anxiety creeping up in my life, I immediately begin to ask God the question, God, what's in my life that's taking your place? What is so consuming me in my life that I have pushed you out of the center of my life and have allowed something else to take that place? I know oftentimes for parents, one of the things that can cause anxiety is, is the health of our children. And we worry and worry and worry about our children as, as we are praying um, almost nonstop right now as students go back to the classroom in many school districts. And um, with COVID-19 still a thing out there, many of us are being overrun with worry about our children. And it can become the primary thing that motivates everything that we do. And over time, if we don't allow God to come back and take the center place of our lives, that worry will consume us. If it's not the worry about the health of our children. It could be the success of our business or a success of relationship. And, and what I found over time is whatever thing has become the most um, priority in my life, if it's not God, 
it's going to produce worry. If I have to sustain it, if I have to work hard for it, if I have to discipline my life around it, if I have to fund it with resources of time and money, etc., then it is built upon my strength. And there's no reason that causes me. I mean, there's, there's no reason we wouldn't um, believe that would cause worry and anxiety. But when the thing in the center of our life is God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and those things are upheld by his strength and by his work, worry just begins to dissipate. So the question then we should be asking ourselves is are we, when we look at our hearts, are we anxious? Do we have sleepless nights? Are we irritable? Have we had moments of lack of motivation or lack of concentration. And, and hear me when I say this, I'm no psychologist. <laughs> Just one of those symptoms is not enough, right, to diagnose someone with a, an anxiety disorder. But I've come to believe that those symptoms in my life is pointing to that reality, that there is something out of order in my life. Jesus says that we need to seek his kingdom to look at the, the world around us and look how he provides for the birds of the air, look at the fields and how beautiful they are and to just, just rest in that, that God made it all and he can sustain it all. So how's our hearts when it comes to these things? How's your heart when it comes to issues of worry and anxiety? I want to pray for us as I close, and I just want to ask God to come and strengthen our resolve in him, that our souls wouldn't be weak like David's was in Psalm 42, where it's panting after you, God, but our souls would be strengthened in the knowledge of who you are, that we can hope in you fully, that we can trust in you fully, because um, you are the God of our salvation. God, you can save us eternally, right? And you can save us in our lives even now. So let's just pray to God and ask for help. Bow your heads with me. God, we thank you for everything that you do. We thank you that you have built our bodies in such a way that we have these indicators in our lives that reveal to us when something else has taken the prominent spot in our lives. God, you can reveal those things to us. Um, when we find ourselves worrying or being anxious, you can show us that and then you can help us to push that thing aside and to focus upon you, that we might look to your kingdom, your righteousness, all the work that your son Jesus does on our behalf, and we can rest in that. God, after you built everything in the creation story, it says that you rested and you weren't resting, God, because you were tired. You were resting because you were enjoying everything that you had done. God, cause us to be people to rest in you. Help us to enjoy, to sit back and breathe in salvation that is birthed from your son, Jesus, not our works, that's given to us by what you've done for us, by grace, free, by faith to believe that we don't earn it or work for it. God, you give it to us. So help us to rest in that place, God. 
We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance Podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing Him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.